Welcome to another gospel message from St. Luke's Anglican Church, Clovelly. Uh, friends, uh, this last month we've been thinking about where we've been coming from uh, as a church and trying to stop and thank God for that and where we're going. Um, we have a vision uh, about new life um, that's found in Jesus actually going out to the whole community. Um, we've got a vision because actually Jesus promised he would build his church until the day he returns. And we have a vision because actually we believe in the future of Christianity in this country. Um, every year we stop and try and ask God to grow that vision. Um, every year we're trying to work out how to change and how to improve. Um, every year is a little bit different. Next year we're, we're asking that God would lead us deeper into prayer. Um, we want to sharpen our community groups. We want to work out how to keep taking the love of God out of the building, uh, not just here. Um, we want to um, work on stage one of our property master plan uh, with the roof, and there'll be more about that. Um, we've got some uh, stories to tell and events um, coming up that will be great to invite people to and that will encourage you, and it's all coming together, and you'll find out more. Um, I want to let you know we're excited that um, Elsie's staying on as one of our student ministers and Nicole will be continuing MTS. Also want to let you know that Andrew um, will be finishing up MTS and also Tim, who's been doing student ministry, and Jess, who's hiding in the back row there, um, will be finishing their time with us. Um, this week, I'll be talking with four good candidates for, we don't have that many roles, student ministry roles uh, for next year, and I'll let you know as that unfolds. Right now, I'm going to pray and ask um, that today would be a day where God would speak to us particularly as we look to the future. Why don't you bow your heads as we pray? Oh, Heavenly Father, it's remarkable to look at that passage in Acts and see how your church uh, grew and how your grace was upon those first Christians. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray today that you would please help us uh, to so see Jesus clearly to be convicted that he is indeed risen from the dead, that your great grace would be upon us as well. And Father, we ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Earlier this year, the UK government appointed their first minister for loneliness. Supposedly, research in the UK has said that 14% of the population are often or always lonely. Because... In our Western societies, the only common language we, we have, it seems sometimes, is money. We always kind of, you know, we measure the cost of loneliness in money. Well, $3.5 billion per annum is the cost of loneliness to the UK economy. Um, in the US, um, studies have shown that loneliness shortens your lifespan far more than obesity. Um, loneliness can kill you. Um, now, the funny thing is, there's just something about our modern Western society that has left us craving community. Um, our culture, our Western culture, kind of encourages us to believe in what's called expressive individualism, right? That our identity is found in kind of expressing yourself and not letting anyone or anything get in the way of that. And yet we're left adrift in this kind of sea of individualism, adrift from the relationships that ground us. The internet, which is amazing and wonderful and has made us more connected than ever, has also, it seems, made us more divided and more depressed. And we're craving this community that the Bible says that we were made for, um, this relationship with our God and then with each other. 
And even for the skeptics, there's just something beautiful about that vision of community in Acts chapter 4. Now, as I chat with people in the community, people who aren't necessarily kind of interested in church are excited and kind of jealous of the community they see going on in churches, how much they appreciate it. And so today, we want to look at Acts 4 and see what it says about this longing and then also, I think, the battle for community. Okay, so we're going to look at what community is. Um, It's about unity and generosity. And then we're going to look at how you get it. And it takes us to the heart of our vision, by the way. I mean, this is about the community that we're meant to be as followers of Jesus. And also, if we could be that sort of community and overflow with Jesus' love, it will help the skeptics around us to consider Jesus. And we'd love that to happen. So... If it's helped to you, three words, it's on your handout, unity, generosity, testimony. Okay, what is community? Well, real community comes from a common unity. Now, uh, this is the second time in the book of Acts that um, Luke has stopped to give us a little status update of how things are going. Um, Just before this, we've seen God answer a prayer by the Holy Spirit coming on the first disciples in a kind of powerful and tangible way. But Luke, it seems, wants to show us that, you know, being connected to the Holy Spirit isn't just about word, it's about deed. It's not just about witness, it's about service. Um, And it's about love for the Christian family as well as testimony to the whole world. Um, And they're the words of John Stott I've stolen. But let's have a look at the text, Uh, Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. We're on page 912 if you've got one of these blue church Bibles. Acts 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, isn't that a beautiful vision? Isn't it? Um, I mean, like, don't you want to be part of that church? We'll just build a time machine and we'll go back and it'll be great. Um, the full number, right? That there's all of them who are part of this church were of one heart and soul. There's this unity and this solidarity that we are in this together. In fact, no one was there saying, well, you know, my things are my things. No, no, no. They're all saying it's, it's, it's ours. It's to be shared. Because to be a Christian is to say, I am not my own. I was bought with the blood of Christ. I belong to him. And if Jesus has purchased both you and me, then we are together forever part of God's family. Now, Jesus had prayed in John 17 that his people would be one as God the Father and the Son are one, so would his people. And you see it here. It's only a couple of months since Jesus' resurrection. It's happening. Except the problem is you just read a little bit further into Acts and there's this straight away, there's actually a battle for unity. Um, you know, it's, it's the problem with reading the book of Acts is you, you've got to read the whole thing. Because, I mean, like miracles, there were a lot of miracles, but actually they weren't every day, and they weren't by every Christian. And this issue of unity, um, you only have to read like another chapter or so, and uh, this division arose 
about the distribution of food, this very thing they seem to be doing so well. And the early church leaders had to come up with a solution to solve it, that will make sure everyone gets fed and the message of Jesus keeps going out to the world. And so they worked it out. But you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Even for them, after this beautiful, visionary passage about, you know, true community, it was a battle. And it's a battle for us as well. Now, it's important, um, Ephesians 4 reminds us that Christian unity isn't something we create, okay? Um, Jesus has created that. We just have to maintain it. And that sounds slightly boring, except that it can actually be pretty challenging. We have to keep the unity that Jesus won. It's a battle for so many reasons, because in a country town, community can happen spontaneously. You just kind of always bump into the same people every time you go down to the supermarket. But in the city, we have to be far more proactive. You, you can't sit back and kind of just wait for community to happen to you. It doesn't work like that. Um, it's about choices, and it's about priorities. It's about, it's about that wet, cold night in August. Now, I know it's like been 40 degrees this weekend, but you know, like, you know that wet, cold night in August when you know, maybe you're going out to community group or some other kind of church event, and you're just like, you know what, I just would like to stay home under the covers. But that's, it's a battle for community, isn't it? Um, it's a battle because it's easier to compare ourselves with others than to be united with others. It's a battle because um, we live in a, in a consumer society where even this... Church, God's family, is like a product. And we just easily opt out when it's kind of not quite fitting our preferences or style or, you know, something kind of doesn't quite happen the way we like and we're out. Um, it's a battle because we live in this society where there are just so many good things that could distract us. Um, and it's brilliant that so many of us here are... are I'm so very thankful that so many of you are involved in very many communities around us, um, school communities and work communities and surf club or music or what. It's great. The challenge is, the battle, I think, is it's, for some of us it's easy to give our unfettered loyalty to work or to sport, and God's family is always a bit negotiable. It's a battle. It's a battle because there are so many things that could divide us when Jesus has united us. And friends, um, if you've been reading reports in the media uh, the last couple of weeks, there are things that you will have read that would make you think the worst of some people, some Christian people, not think the best of them. Our society is um, increasingly fractured on so many issues. Both sides kind of demonise each other. Um, and just wouldn't it be beautiful if Christians whose identity isn't found in their politics or their money or their class or their status could actually model something better? I mean, imagine if people whose identity is found in Jesus, a saviour, modelling something better. Because we have a saviour who saw us at our worst and still gave us his best. Wouldn't that be beautiful? You know, the New Testament's full of community-building practices, things like honour one another above yourselves, um, accept one another, just as Christ accepted you, agree with one another. Isn't that interesting? Just work it out. Agree with one another. And what else? Forgive one another, serve one another, carry each other's burdens. I think that verse in Galatians 6 means something like you need to live in Christian community where you, you don't let others carry their burdens alone. 
But at the very same time, you don't go through life thinking that you can carry your burden alone. We all need each other. And you know what? This week, despite the way the church has been portrayed, despite the fact that no church is all that it should be, we've got lots of problems. But friends, you need to know I, this week, I mean, some things going on, and some of you know, and some of you are like, what is he talking about? It doesn't matter. But I've been actually so encouraged this week. There was someone in need, and people of this church spontaneously came to their aid. A whole group of people came to help spontaneously. Um, someone said to me, look, you know what? I, I took a bit of a break from church, and I thought, you know what? I'll just read the Bible on my own. And it was only when I came back to church that I realized, actually, I hadn't been doing any of that. Because I needed the encouragement of others. Someone who's kind of fairly new um, and kind of checking things out said to me, look, my, I'll keep it anonymous, my, my husband and wife's not really you know, kind of that keen, but you know what? They've been so welcomed every time they've come to this church that they're always happy to come when I want to go. And I could tell you about another couple of conversations as well. You know, my favourite quote actually this week was about Acts 4 and it said this, when the church was a family, the church was on fire. Do you see? When the ch- <laughs> we'll have a little lesson about metaphors later on, Billy. <laughs> we had a lovely big family day yesterday, so Billy's joining his church today. Um, there we go. When the, when, the, when the church is a family, the church is on fire. Um, okay. Uh, the, so... Community is about this unity that's greater than our differences and even greater than our sins. We can forgive each other. But there's a second thing. True community is about generosity. You know, the, the solidarity in the early church led to radical generosity. And so let's have a look again. Um, I'm going to read from verse 32. Let's have... Okay, Uh, Acts 4 verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And then verse 34. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. There was not a needy person among them. Now there's a vision, isn't there? Notice it's not communism. It's not imposed. It's not coerced. In fact, uh, Acts 5 verse 4 seems to imply private ownership, if you wanted to ask that question. But notice, it's not consumerist capitalism either, because they're not trying to find their their security and their identity in their money and their possessions and their wealth, because otherwise you can't give it away like that. They're not just giving 10% of their income. They're selling one of the great idols of the city of Sydney, real estate, to care for people in need. I mean, this is a community that um, shares their goods, that shares their homes, that shares their space, that shares their life. 
This is radical, costly Christianity, the kind of Christianity that, that changed the world. But you know, generosity is a battle, a battle for them and for us. And you know, it's interesting, um, Barnabas is this wonderful example, except that he's actually setting up the greedy example in Acts chapter 5, where Ananias and Sapphira, they, they, don't, have, they don't have to sell their property they don't have to give all the proceeds when they sell it, but, but they pretend to give it all and whilst holding some back, and it doesn't end well. And, you know, isn't it just interesting? The early church, at one and the same time, it's just this amazing vision of radical generosity, and at the very same time, they were just as plagued by the reality of greed as we are. In the 16th century, um, John Calvin commented on this passage, this quote's on the screen. He said... We must, have hearts, we must have hearts that are harder than iron if we are not moved by the reading of this narrative. In those days, the believers gave abundantly of what was their own. We in our day are content not just jealously to retain what we possess, but callously to rob others. They sold their own possessions in those days. In our day, it is the lust to purchase that reigns supreme. At that time, love made each man's own possession common property for those in need. In our day, such is the inhumanity of many that they begrudge to the poor a common dwelling upon earth, the common use of water, air and sky. There's a quote worth thinking about. You know what? That's the 16th century. It could have been the 21st century, couldn't it? Just, we live in this society that is dominated in so many ways by greed and materialism and consumerism and the battle to take the love of Jesus to those who are poor and those who are spiritually poor is a battle over, over our own comfort. I mean, can you, imagine, can you imagine the difference that radical generosity could make in a sceptical world? Now, um, my previous minister is now serving in a church in Dubai. Um, I think it's a church of like a thousand people or so. I know that there's at least a number of other kind of almost mega churches um, in this, like just Bible-based mega churches in what is a very hostile environment. Um, Dubai has actually become a kind of launching platform of Christian work to the entire Middle East. Um, people go there, be trained, and then go out. Now, um, all this is going on in Dubai. Now, we know about kind of the oil money and the malls and the tallest building in the world, but also an Islamic kingdom. But the fascinating thing is the freedoms that they, the Christians there now enjoy come on the back of centuries of Christian generosity. In the late 1800s, a number of American missionaries left their homes um, and went to the Middle East and opened a hospital in Bahrain. They were guests in, in a Muslim land, but they endured the heat without any of the modern conveniences. They just served faithfully and they loved the people and eventually won their trust. In the 1960s, before um, the states got together for, to what we call the United Arab Emirates, the tribes in that area were at risk of dying out due to a lack of medical care. One of two children died during um, childbirth. One of three mothers died during childbirth. And the ruling sheikh in the area of Dubai knew of this Christian hospital in Bahrain, 400 kilometres away. And he appealed to these Christian medical missionaries to come and start a maternity hospital. And so Pat and Marion Kennedy responded to this invitation. 
They, they started a hospital in a simple clay house, but their efforts made an immediate difference. Um, most of the current rulers of Dubai and the United Arab Emirates were born in that hospital, Christian hospital. Over time, more staff came, all Christians, and they just slowly built relationships with the tribes around because they'd come to love and to serve. Around 2010, after everything we know about the modern um, Emirates, um, the, the oil and the money and the malls and the buildings, one of the ruling families gave $100 million to rebuild a new, a new hospital on the site of this original maternity ward. The administrator expected that the money would be given anonymously to avoid word of a Muslim leader um, funding a Christian hospital and all the kind of connotations of that. But when the time came to cut the ribbon on this new hospital, the ruling family was there present in all the photos. One of the Kennedys' children said to the sheikh, we can never repay you for this. The sheikh said, we can never repay you. What your family did for us, we could never repay. And the freedom that Christians have in Dubai today is in large part due to a century of Christians being there, loving, when there was no value being there. There's no glitz or glamour or air conditioning in Dubai. They weren't being generous because it was good for business or because of the novelty of check and the photos. They were just there practising radical generosity because they'd been changed by the radical generosity of Jesus. You see, um, when you look at the heart of this section, um, in Acts 4, the heart of, of unity and generosity is the testimony that was being given to Jesus. So we're just going to have a last run as we conclude. Um, so come back, uh, Acts chapter 4, and right at the heart of this vision is the testimony, the, the, you know, the witness that was being given to the resurrection of Jesus. Let's read verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power... The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and on it goes. Do you, do you see what was there in the middle? I mean, Luke says the whole generosity bit twice, but the bit in the middle is about the testimony that was being given to Jesus. That the eyewitnesses of Jesus, who'd seen Jesus live and seen Jesus die and seen Jesus rise again in history, in public, they were spreading that message. You see, though we, we love ourselves more than others, we're more likely to be greedy than generous. And yet Jesus still loved us, gave his life for us, so that we're restored to unity with God. And Luke's trying to show us, you know, do you, do you want a community that is greater than our differences and even our sins? Then you need Jesus. You need Jesus who died for sins and rose for sins, for your sins and for my sins, because that will enable you to get that unity. Do you want a world that is generous when there is no value? When you, a world that is generous even when it doesn't make you feel good? 
then you need Jesus, who even when we were God's enemies, loved us, died for us and rose for us. Now, friends, sometimes our society wants Christian values without Christ, Jesus' ethics without Jesus. And friends, apart from being offensive to the living God, it's, it just doesn't even work or last. It's like cutting the rose stalk off the bush. Over time, it's going to die. It's unplugging the device, and eventually the battery's going to go down. And if we, if we want this community of unity and generosity, it needs to be built on the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, as we think about our vision, um, I want you to notice that the kind of church that changed the world showed both unity and generosity as well as this powerful, bold, unflinching proclamation of Jesus. Now, there's a lot of battles that we need to face together. There's a pseudo-community that can happen in churches and other places where we we just kind of smile on Sundays and wave and it's nice, and it's super, but it's superficial. We face the battle of kind of using others in our church community. To, you know, if we take but never give, or if we give but only as long as we're getting, there's the battle where we can just be proud and act like we just don't really need Christian community or the support of others. You see, here's the point of Acts 4 and, and our vision, really. The community that we need comes from the Christ who gave. And the community that our world craves comes from the Christ who rose. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we confess that so often we're more likely to think of ourselves than others and more likely to be selfish and greedy than generous and giving. Father, we thank you, though, that you are the God who loved us anyway, who when we were at our worst, you gave us your best by giving us your son. And Heavenly Father, we pray that you would please, that you, you might show great grace to us, that we would be a church that is both unflinching in testifying to Jesus died and risen, and is also marked by a true community of unity and generosity. Father, we pray for our sake. We pray for the sake of all of those around us uh, who need to know the love of Jesus. But most of all, we pray it for your sake and your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about St Luke's Anglican Church, please visit www.clovelly.org.au.